John chapter 16, verses 16 to 33. And for those of you here, it's up on the screen. So the disciples' grief will turn to joy. Jesus went on to say, In a little while you will see me no more, and then after a little while you will see me. At this, some of his disciples said to one another, What does he mean by saying, In a little while you will see me no more, and then after a little while you will see me? And because I'm going to the Father, they kept asking, What does he mean by a little while? We don't understand what he is saying. Jesus saw that they wanted to ask him about this, so he said to them, Are you asking one another what I meant when I said, In a little while you will see me no more, and then after a little while you will see me? Very truly I tell you, you will weep and mourn while the world rejoices. You will grieve, but your grief will turn to joy. A woman giving birth to a child has pain because her time has come. But when her baby is born, she forgets the anguish because of her joy that a child is born into the world. So with you. Now is your time of grief. But I will see you again, and you will rejoice, and no one will take away your joy. In that day, you will no longer ask me anything. Very truly, I tell you, my Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. Until now... You have not asked for anything in my name. Ask and you will receive and your joy will be complete. Though I have been speaking figuratively, a time is coming when I will no longer use this kind of language. But I will tell you plainly about my father. In that day, you'll ask in my name. I am not saying that I will ask the father on your behalf. No. The Father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. I came from the Father and entered the world. Now I am leaving the world and going back to the Father. Then Jesus' disciples said, Now you are speaking, in clear, now you are speaking clearly and without figures of speech. Now we can see that you know all things and that you do not even need to have anyone ask you questions. This makes us believe that you came from God. Do you now believe, Jesus replied? A time is coming, and in fact has come, when you will be scattered, each to your own home. You will leave me all alone. Yet I am not alone, for my Father is with me. I have told you these things, so that in me you may have peace. In this world, you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Uh, friends, if you'd like to uh, grab a Bible uh, here in the church, uh, pew Bibles, or if you've got a Bible at home, and uh, also uh, you should have a copy of the sermon outline uh, if you're here in the church, and uh, that has been made available on the um, uh, Facebook members page and has been emailed out to congregation members as well. And that'll help uh, in terms of uh, taking notes. So let's uh, now just come before God in prayer as we seek uh, his wisdom in looking at this passage. Father in heaven, we want to thank you for your word. 
We thank you that your word is both truth and life. Father, we ask that by your spirit that you would grant, grant us insight and understanding, that we would be men and women and boys and girls who walk worthily of you. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. What is it that brings joy to your heart? Uh, joy is different to happiness, isn't it? I mean, I can feel pretty happy when I receive a new computer, but uh, I wouldn't really call that joy. Although, as some people I know, uh, uh, that is uh, pure joy. But um, uh, joy is deeper than that, isn't it? Uh, joy tends to be uh, connected more with uh, triumphs, like when our team wins the grand final, uh, or it's connected with relationships. Uh, like, for example, when we are reunited with people whom we love and we haven't seen them for some time. That's a time for joy. That's a time for celebration. That's a time for hugs. The opposite of joy, of course, is sadness and grief, uh, which is often caused by loss. And sometimes it's uh, not just the loss, it's the knowledge that the loss is about to happen. Uh, which causes us grief. And that was a situation which the disciples of Jesus found themselves in uh, when in sharing the Passover meal with him, he uh, revealed to them, he disclosed to them, he announced to them that he was about to leave them, that he was about to depart. And so they began to grieve. Uh, but their grief is mixed with confusion. For in our passage today, which you might like to have open in your Bibles, in John chapter 17, uh, from verse 16, the disciples have a few questions. Let me read that a few verses uh, for you. Uh, in John 17, verse 16, Jesus went on to say, In a little while you will see me no more, and then after a little while you will see me. At this, some of the disciples said to one another, what does he mean by saying, in a little while you will see me no more, and then after a little while you will see me, and because I am going to the Father? They kept asking, what does he mean by a little while? We don't understand what he is saying. Now, it's easy for you and I to understand uh, what Jesus was saying, but uh, if we uh, lived on the other side of the cross, uh, then we would be just as puzzled as the disciples were. Remember, they were anticipating that Jesus would be establishing his kingdom and establishing his kingdom uh, in Jerusalem, which is where they were. And so if he's going to be establishing his kingdom, why is he leaving? And if he doesn't want to establish his kingdom, why would he be returning? And what does he mean uh, by these questions, by these things that he's that he's saying. I mean, for the disciples, uh, Judas has just stepped out of the room into the night, but they thought he might have been going to buy some food, or that he might have been going to give some money to the poor. So, what does Jesus mean? In a little while, you won't see me; then you will, and because I'm going to the Father. And what is this? In a little while. What does that mean? We don't understand what he is saying. 
But who are they speaking to? In verse 17, the disciples are speaking amongst themselves. They're talking to one another. Even though Jesus is in the room, they are questioning amongst themselves, but they do not ask Jesus their questions. Now, this is actually an important point in understanding the passage. Because in verse 19, Jesus actually knows their questions without needing to be asked. Let's pick it up at verse 19. Jesus saw that they wanted to ask him about this. So he said to them, Are you asking one another what I meant when I said, In a little while you'll see me no more? And then after a little while, you will see me. Are you asking one another? Of course, Jesus knew that they were asking one another. He knew what they were saying. But the disciples didn't expect him to know. Now, for you, um, if you were Jesus, what would a clear answer to their questions uh, look like? Uh, perhaps you might, we might be thinking that Jesus would say in answering those questions something like, well, if you want to know what I mean by in a little while you'll see me no longer and then after that you will see me, uh, let me tell it to you straight. I am going to be arrested. I am going to be put on trial. I'm going to be crucified. I'm going to be buried. Uh, but on the third day I'm going to be raised from the dead and then I'm going to ascend to the Father in heaven. Uh, He could have said that. In fact, he's already said that uh, earlier on in his ministry. But right now, the disciples felt anxious. They felt vulnerable and helpless. So how does Jesus help them? Verse 20. Very truly, I tell you, you will weep and mourn while the world rejoices... You will grieve, but your grief will turn to, what does he say? Joy. To joy. And then he likens it in verse 21 to when a woman goes into labour. Now, I understand that some women experience more or less pain in childbirth than others do. But in general, at childbirth... What do you reckon? I'd say it's probably the, the most, well, it is the most painful experience that humans normally experience. Well, I have to say that kidney stones are not much fun either. However, from personal experience, I can personally testify to that. However, in childbirth... Once the baby is born, the pain is soon forgotten. Because in the mother's arms, as Jesus says in verse 21, there is this this wonderful bundle of joy. Suffering becomes joy. And it's not that the, the thing which caused the pain has now been replaced by something very different, which is the cause of of joy. No, the very source of the suffering actually becomes the source of joy. And knowing that end result is what gives the, uh, the woman the courage to persevere. 
Now, sometimes Jesus uses uh, metaphors. He uses uh, what the, the, the word in the Bible here is actually literally translated as dark sayings, uh, not because of darkness in an evil sense, but dark in the sense that the, uh, the meaning uh, is, is buried a little bit because it uh, requires for us to do a little bit of harder thinking, deeper thinking to uncover its meaning and therefore be more convicted of its truth. Uh, but that's not the case here, is it? The comparison with childbirth is very clear. Verse 22. So it is with you, says Jesus, now is your time of grief, but I will see you again and you will rejoice and no one will take away your joy. Notice as he says that I will see you again, not you will see me again. Uh, they'll both see each other, but this is very Christ-centred, isn't it? It's very Christ-centred. I will see you again and you will rejoice and no one can take that joy away. Just like the woman in labour, the disciples will also suffer in the days ahead. What is about to happen to Jesus uh, will bring them grief. But their grief, the very reason for their grief, will actually be the source of their greatest joy, joy which cannot be extinguished, joy which cannot be taken from them. Friends, here Jesus is addressing their need for assurance. He's not, asking, he's not answering their questions, is he? He knows what the questions are. He's not really answering them. And there's another reason for that. It's not just about assurance. But have a look at verse 23. In that day, that is when he sees them, you will no longer ask me anything. Very truly I tell you, my Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. Until now, you have not asked for anything in my name. Ask and you will receive and your joy will be complete. Now that's a dense saying of Jesus there. What, what is he, what's he on about? Uh, what is the day when Jesus sees them again? That's the resurrection, isn't it? That's when he'll see them again. And on that day, which is only, only a few days off, they will have no, no need to ask Jesus anything. For in his death and his resurrection, they will have their answers. And when Jesus speaks to them, it'll be clear what he's saying. But there's more to this. You see, in verse 23, it's not just asking questions which Jesus has in mind. You see, when we use the, uh, the term to ask or the word to ask, it can mean different things, can't it? Uh, it can mean to ask a question uh, like, can I ask you your name, please? Or on the other hand, it can, be, it can mean to, to make a request. Can I ask you uh, to do something for me, please. A question or a request? And in verse 23, both meanings are in the sentence. Uh, in that day, says Jesus, you will no longer ask me anything. 
Now, the, the word which John uses here uh, for ask uh, normally means to ask a question. Not always, but it normally means to ask a question. But when Jesus says, very truly I tell you, my Father will give you whatever you ask in my name, uh, the word there, uh, to ask, does not, never refers to a question. Uh, it, all, it can only mean making a request. And so what's happening here is that Jesus, uh, a conversation that starts with them asking, wanting to ask him some questions to get some knowledge, uh, Jesus now turns that to go a bit deeper. For his resurrection will not just address their questions, it will address their need, their greatest need, and our need as well. Friends, what is our greatest need? Our greatest need is to be in relationship with God the Father. Our greatest need is for our broken relationship with God the Father, broken by sin, that it be restored. In that day, my father says, uh, Jesus says, my father will give you anything you ask in my name. Now, this is not a blank check. Uh, this is not name it and claim it theology. Uh, in fact, uh, in John's first letter, in 1 John chapter 5, verse 14, uh, when he speaks of the confidence that we can have in approaching God the Father, uh, he says that we can ask anything according to his will. And when we ask according to his will then we know that he hears us and that we will have that for which we've asked. Now, God will only give us uh, according to his will. God will only give us that which is best for us. And he knows what is good, what is good for us. He knows our real needs. In verse 24... Jesus says, until now, you have not asked for anything in my name. Ask and you will receive and your joy will be complete. I remember uh, uh, talking to a lady uh, soon after she had become a Christian. And uh, sometimes those are moments that are really special, aren't they? Uh, because in, in her case, she was... Uh, uh, she knew what it meant. She now knew what it meant to be forgiven. And as her sin was great, so too was her forgiveness great. And you know what they say, the greater the, greater the forgiveness, the greater the gratitude towards God. She was overflowing with joy uh, when she spoke to me of just how amazing, how extraordinary it is to be forgiven and to enjoy an unbroken relationship with, the, with God the Father. And to be able to, this was very special to her, to be able to speak to him in prayer, unfettered, unbridled. And friends, to be able to freely speak to the creator of the universe, uh, 
That is our deepest need, as it is our, our greatest joy. And the basis of that joy is the point which Jesus is making here. Uh, verse 25. Though I have been speaking figuratively, a time is coming when I will no longer use this kind of language, but will tell you plainly about my Father. They'll understand that after the resurrection. In that day, you will ask in my name. I'm not saying that I will ask the Father on your behalf. No, the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. I came from the Father and entered the world. Now I am leaving the world and going back to the Father. Now, when we pray to God, we often uh, finish our prayers uh, with the words, in Jesus' name, don't we? Why do we do that? What's the reason for it? What does it mean? Well, I don't know about you, but I've noticed that sometimes when uh, prayers are said at public at civic functions, I think it might be true in Parliament as well, that uh, they don't pray in Jesus' name. They'll say the prayer, but there's no in Jesus' name we pray at the end, even the Lord's Prayer. And my guess is that that's because they don't want to be specifically Christian and offend those who are not Christians. And yet the only reason that we can come to God in prayer is because of the name of Jesus. It is because of what Jesus was about to face. He was about to die on a cross and then rise again. Why would he do that? to pay the penalty for our sins so that we can be declared to be righteous in God's sight, not because of who we are, but because of who he is. That we can be forgiven, that we can enjoy a renewed, a restored, an unbroken relationship with the God of the universe. And that is the reason why we can now approach God the Father in confidence. Uh, back in verse 23, after Jesus has returned to the Father, he says that we, or the disciples, and therefore us, will ask the Father in Jesus' name. This is, a, this is new. This is the, the new order. This is the new state of affairs, that we ask the Father in Jesus' name because by dying for our sins, Jesus becomes the basis for our access to the Father. Just as the temple curtain is torn down uh, upon his death. Free access to God the Father. And in that sense, Jesus is our mediator. He is the, the one who stands uh, between us and the Father. Uh, he is the one uh, who is able to bring us to the Father. However, in verse 26, Jesus is clear that, that this does not mean that we have to pray to Jesus. 
for him to then go and ask the Father on our behalf. As if Jesus is somehow the the merciful, understanding uh, one who is willing to listen to us as opposed to the Father who is distant and needs to be. No, we have direct access to God the Father. In verse 27, Jesus assures the disciples of that because that because they are in relationship with Jesus, because they love Jesus, because they obey uh, Jesus' commands, that that therefore they are loved by the Father. The Father loves you, says Jesus, because you have loved me, and listen to this carefully, and have believed that I came from God. Have believed that I came from God. You see, I say listen carefully because then in verse 29... Uh, the disciples proclaim that suddenly everything is now cleared up for them. That suddenly now they understand exactly what he's saying. Have a look at that, verse 29. Then the disciples said, now you are speaking clearly and without figures of speech. Now we can say that you know all things and that you do not even need to have anyone ask you questions. This makes us believe that you came from God. Why do they believe that Jesus came from God? Is it because they now have an understanding of the gospel, that they now understand why he was going to die on the cross and be written? Hardly. Rather, it's because lounging around the Passover table, they had questions, which it turned out they didn't even need to ask Jesus because he already knew what was on their minds. They're getting a bit ahead of themselves, aren't they? Do you now believe, Jesus replied in verse 31. It's, it's like saying, really? Really you believe, do you? As he then informs them that they are all about to desert him, leaving him all alone except for the Father. But why does he tell them this? Uh, in uh, Matthew's account... In Matthew chapter 26, we're told that on this very night, as Jesus was arrested in the garden, that all the disciples deserted him and fled. That's what they did. And can you imagine how, in retrospect, uh, how ashamed they would feel for their actions? How, How grieved they would be by what they had done? And yet looking back in verse 33, they would know that whilst Jesus predicted their desertion, in the very next breath, he also promised them peace. Jesus knew that they would desert him, and yet he also promised them peace. In this world, says Jesus, you will have trouble, but take heart. For I have overcome. Uh, The word there also means conquered. Uh, It's the word Nike, actually, uh, as if you wear Nike shoes. Uh, He says, For I have overcome, I have conquered the world. Uh, Friends, as Jesus was about to go to the cross, 
His great concern was to comfort his disciples. And he did so with the gospel. In John chapter 20, uh, verses 19 to 20, after the burial of Jesus, the disciples are in utter grief, bunkered down in a room with the doors securely bolted uh, because of fear. They feared for their very lives. And as they were bunkered down in this bolted up room, Jesus, the resurrected Jesus, came and stood amongst them. And he showed them his hands, he showed them his side, such as the such that the disciples were, in verse 20, overjoyed, overjoyed when they saw the Lord. And John was one of them who was overjoyed to see the resurrected Jesus. Like the woman in labour, the source of pain had become their greatest joy. Where do you find your joy? In triumphs, in relationships. Life is not always full of joy, though, is it? Indeed, if we uh, want to live godly lives, we ought to expect that um, uh, we're going to undergo some grief, that we're not always going to be uh, popular. Uh, When we tell others about Jesus and when we make clear statements about the gospel, we will have troubles. The Bible says that all who seek to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. And yet, just as Jesus endured the suffering for the joy that lay ahead, the the joy that lay before him, we too can persevere, knowing that by his resurrection that he has indeed overcome, that he has indeed conquered the world. And in that, friends, we also are conquerors. In Romans chapter 8, the Apostle Paul wrote, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or the sword? No, says Paul, In all these things, you and I, we, are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the great love of Jesus in preparing his disciples. We thank you for his great love that he was prepared to endure the suffering of the cross for the joy that was set before him and we thank you father that uh, because of what he's done that we too uh, enjoy a great joy profound joy that freedom of being in perfect relationship with yourself through jesus father we pray that uh, uh, as we endure difficulties in life and particularly because of our faith that we too would uh, look to jesus and that we too would know the victory that is surely ours, that we would persevere because of your great love for us. And we do so in Jesus' name. Amen.